Welcome to Real Marketers, where we hear from marketers who move fast, ask forgiveness, not permission, obsess about driving results, and are filled to the brim with crazy ideas and the guts to implement them. This is not a fireside chat, and there's absolutely no bullshit allowed here. And I'm your host, Stephanie Cox. I have more than 15 years of marketing experience, and I've pretty much done about everything in my career. I believe speed is better than perfection. I use the Oxford comma. I love Coca-Cola, have exceptionally high standards, and surround myself with people who get shit done. On this show, my guests and I will push boundaries, share the real truths about marketing, and empower you to become a real marketer. One of my favorite parts of this podcast is when an episode generates conversations with listeners, and then they reach out to share their thoughts. When this happens, it means we've clearly delivered impactful content. And it's even better when one of those conversations is so engaging that I have that listener come on the show immediately. And that's exactly what happened with this week's guest. Last week, we had an episode with Michelle Miller talking about how she shed her good girl mentality. And that topic really resonated with a lot of women. It also resonated with some of our male listeners who have experienced similar situations in their career. And I knew I had to have a guest on that could share this point of view. Michael Hartman has more than 20 years of experience in various industries. Most recently, he was the director of marketing technology and demand generation at Freeman, a leading events organization. We're talking about how firstborns are rule followers, the importance of diversity of thought within an organization, brainstorming in a virtual environment, why being a leader sometimes means being blamed for things that aren't always your fault, and so much more. So as my listeners know, I like to get started by asking you, what's something that most people don't know about you? So most people don't know that, although I probably look like I'm a dancer, I'm really not, but I have been in a flash mob. And it was a dancing flash mob that was choreographed and the whole bit. And the way it happened was, uh, and this is the marketing tie-in, it was actually, I was, we were headed to the Eloqua Experience Conference like seven years ago down in Orlando, and our sales rep reached out to me and asked me if I would be willing to do that. And I was like, oh, I don't know. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to go for it and do it. And I have to tell you, it was, um, it was scary, but so much fun to do it. And um, I, it is true it happened. There are only a handful of videos out there back in those days. People weren't ready for it. But... Um, yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. And then, you know, it was a great way to meet a bunch of people there. And it was, uh, I think it's a good kind of a, a, you know, one of the things that both like Eloqua and Marketo are really, were really good about building community among their users, that I think is one of those things that carries forward. So there's like this connection that I now have with all these people who are other Eloqua you know, aficionados that uh, is unrelated to the actual platform. Well, and that's what's cool about it too. Like to your point is you've created this like community connection that you probably are now connected with them on LinkedIn and you have this similar memory that is not related to why you were there for the conference at all. Absolutely. So one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the show is last week we had an, an episode with Michelle Miller and her and I talked about this idea of how we were raised to be good girls and kind of be keep quiet, not speak up, not advocate for ourselves. And you posted a comment to my LinkedIn post about it and how you had a similar kind of experience. And I thought it would be great to have a, one, your perspective, especially a male perspective, and really share with listeners how this is not just a gender specific issue. It's really, you know, an issue that a lot of people face. 
So would love to just hear kind of like, you know, from last week's episode, what really stood out for you that you feel like you've also experienced in your life? Yeah, sure. It was it was a really interesting one. I've, I've enjoyed all the episodes that you've put out. Uh, it's kind of a required listening for me at this point. But I will say that this one kind of hit a chord, and it, and it started when Michelle talked about realizing or talked about um, birth order, and that she was a firstborn. You mentioned you were a firstborn, and I was also a firstborn. And as I was listening, I was hearing some of the same things, thinking about my life growing up where I was definitely a rule follower, um, felt like I, you know, if I didn't follow rules, but somebody else got away with not following rules, that wasn't fair. I felt like um, I was always trying to please people. And some of that, I think, was also a family dynamic. And, you know, move forward, you know, into high school, college, and, and beyond, you know, I, that was a, kind of in my mind was, you know, I'm always trying to please people, trying to do the right thing. And, you know, when you first get into a position where all of a sudden, somebody in corporate world, right, is not complying with what you think the way the order of the world should be. It seems unfair. And it's really easy to get in sort of a, a defensive or judgmental kind of attitude at that point, which is really sort of self-defeating at that point, right? And um, it really was a struggle for me in those early years to kind of go, oh, wait, the world's not what I thought it was. And it's not the world's fault. It's, you know, on me to kind of realize that I need to change how I'm reacting to the world, not having the world react to me. And, and so, you know, a lot of the stuff that you and Michelle both brought up about, you know, trying to follow rules and, um, how that translated into your work life really resonated with me. So let's talk about this. Like, do we need like a recovering support group for all of us firstborns that were raised <laughs> to follow the rules that need, that now are like, Oh crap, we need to break all the rules. Uh, yeah. I, you know, I, I don't, obviously I'm not saying I'm an expert, but I mean, I do think, I, I think it's more common than we, we, we think it is. I think, um, yeah, I, you know, suspect that a lot of people who are on your podcast and in the world, you know, the world we travel are, high performers and people who've uh, been successful, even if they've gone through ups and downs. And so sometimes it's, you know, we don't see the struggles that all these other people are ha having, having, and I, you know, maybe there is a need for, and that's part of why I wanted to, I was happy to join on this call is I think, I think it's, it's broader than just a gender thing, right? I think clearly I'm not a woman. I didn't grow up as a woman, but I, and I'm sure that that's happened to people where they felt like their voice wasn't heard. But I know also from my personal experience with having people working for me and my own experience where I felt like my voice wasn't being heard either. So uh, do we need a support group? Maybe. I, I don't think it would be a bad thing. So thinking about you know that, because I think you're so right, there's more of us out there that were raised this way, whether it's because we're firstborns or because of like family dynamics, as you mentioned. How have you been able to kind of break through that and really say like, you know, I don't always need to follow the rules. My voice is worth listening to. I have a lot to say. How have you like overcome some of that, especially when it's ingrained so early, like as a child? You know, the I I remember you talked about a story about like this one particular pivotal moment where you sort of had this mind shift. And I have have a similar one where uh, I was working at a company and um, another friend of mine, thought of it was a friend of mine, also was working there and came to find out that, you know, not only was my voice sort of being run over by this person behind the scenes, but also was like undermining me, like throwing me under the bus. <laughs> And I think it was one that moment where I realized 
if I don't start to advocate for myself more, you know, whether that's speaking up more, um, doing the things that I think are the right thing to do, even if there's not, a, you know, um, explicit support or approval. You know, I think, you, you know, you and I uh, have similar mindset about, you know, you know, not waiting for approval and moving forward with things because we feel like you got to move to make progress. And I think it was that kind of moment in my career when I realized I've got to stop like waiting for things to come to me and I need to start, you know, going to the things that I think are important. And I think that was really it. Um, and it would have been really easy, I think, to fold at that point and not really continue to pursue what I thought was the right thing to do. And can ever since then, I've been a lot more vocal uh, and, uh, I had to learn. I'm not going to say it was perfect. I, there were times where I would, I would tell you I was not my best self, and that vocal turned into being, you know, maybe a bully, even not even a bully, but just, you know, overbearing, if if you will. And I think it, it's taken a little bit of time to bring that down and continue to be, you know, pushing for the things that I think are right, while doing it in a way that still. Uh, allows other people to be a part of the process. Well, and you mentioned, you know, this idea around leading teams too. So how do you think about helping others that are maybe struggling with this be able to get through it faster, you know, so they can have that aha moment maybe earlier in their careers than maybe you and I did? Yeah, You know, I I, I don't know that there's one solution, but one of the things I do when, with people who work, who work with me, and I've kind of evolved this over time, but it's really, you know, I'm, I'm a big believer in that People, well, a couple of things. So the way I like to lead is I think about the whole person. So I'm very much wanting to understand what's going on in their lives so that I can help them through challenges that may not be work-related. But I also believe like their career and what their aspirations are really their responsibility. And my job is to help them kind of fill the gaps and kind of guide them towards what will work. So I think it all starts with how do you, you know, how do you develop that relationship with those people and coach them? And then, you know, I actively... Like when we're in conversations, whether it's one on one or in groups, I'm always trying to pull in the people, especially the people who are not vocal by nature, and and try to get them to to to, to open up. And I've you know, I've got some examples of that. I think you know early on I inherited somebody whose previous manager, uh, well both of them had a military background. It was very much used to a command and control. You you know you, here's my order, you go do it. And uh, he came to me one time with a challenge with somebody who was a coworker. He was working in another team, and wanted me to basically tell him what to do. And I and I had to kind of guide him, like, "Hey, I could do that, but it's going to be how I would do it, not you." And I think you need. I don't want to disrupt your relationship. And I so I really encouraged him. We talked through and coached him through how kind of how to approach it, the things he could do, and I think it was a big change for him too of realizing that he could do these things without having to be told what to do. So it was just kind of believing that he was, I think, believing in their cap capacity is one. The other is also just being humble about thinking as a leader that you, not only do you feel like you have to know everything, but you can't know everything. And so I have an example of my recent job where I had somebody come in and we were working on a problem we were trying to solve in a marketing operations kind of scenario. And I was pretty much came into the meeting with, I think this is the way to do it. And the person who worked for me kept challenging me and challenging me and, and finally actually convinced me that the idea that she had was the better one. And, you know, for me, that was a time to celebrate. And I told her that and I told my boss that I told her that I told my boss that. And I think that kind of stuff, right, really not just saying you want to hear people, but actually truly, you know, 
demonstrating that, that's a big part of it. Well, it's interesting that you brought up the idea of people who don't speak up for themselves, because I think I've been in so many roles where I've seen that and try to encourage it. Because one of the things we talk about diversity a lot, but this idea around diversity of thought and how you know, beneficial it is to have people with different backgrounds and different points of view to share, you know, their thoughts and opinions and feedback, especially in marketing. So how do you think about encouraging like just different diversity of thought, you know, when you are with an existing team or when you think about hiring new talent? Uh, so I, I actually really like you know, the, the idea of diversity of thought is really a powerful one. Me, I, somebody I worked with along the way. So it said something that it kind of, really set it in my mind said, hey, you know, I don't really have a monopoly on good ideas. And that's really struck with me, stuck with me uh, throughout my career and that you know, there are so many other people who have different ideas. And, and often we get into a leadership role where we think, oh, I've already done that. So I know the best way to do it. And it's really easy to, to especially, I think it is especially tough for people who are moving the first time into a leadership role. And for me, it's been um, a matter of just trying to continue to find people who, you know, uh, I've hired people who on paper didn't fit a job description, but there was something else about what they were, you know, they had in their um, in their quiver of experience and, and talents that you can kind of sense. It's really hard to do that. I had the, for, you know, good fortune in some of those cases where I'd seen them working inside the company. I hired them from another part of the company. Uh, it's harder when it's somebody you haven't seen. And uh, I think I think that's actually one of the challenges of hiring is actually finding those people who, you know, maybe have the potential and will bring another perspective that we don't already have on the team, but have other capacity, like their experience actually might make us be better overall. And it's hard. I, I don't know that I have the, the the silver bullet for that. I know that Part of it is definitely just personality dynamics, and part of it is, you know, under, you know, like hearing stories about what they are passionate about, like projects that they've done that they're really proud of, and they look back on and, and talk about how that worked, especially if it worked where it was not just them, but them and other people. I think that's a big part of it, too. So have you ever been in a situation, and I can share a little bit about mine, where I've hired someone who has a very different non-traditional background to someone we might hire for that role. But like to your point, has the right like personality traits that sometimes you can't teach. I can teach you how to do a lot of things in marketing. There are some things I can't teach, right? I can't teach drive, ambition, hustle, et cetera. Um, how have you dealt with a situation where you've brought someone in that has a different like diversity of thought and the team is unsure how to react to it, engage with it, because it's so outside the norm of what you might, might be traditional for that role. I, I think uh, when I, I'm, there's one scenario in particular I'm thinking about somebody who uh, I hired in um, into my, you know, my digital marketing team, email marketing team, who had actually been an admin, like, a, like an admin assistant, right? Um, but he was interested in doing something else. So I think part of part of Selling that to the rest of the team is talking about how, um, you know, how that person has the desire and capacity to really want to learn and understand and is not afraid to roll up their sleeves and work hard. And I think that's a big part of it. Is like you've got to tell those people who are already there, trust me that this person is going to bring all those other sort of intangible things to the table that 
we all want, right? Nobody wants to work with somebody who's not going to put in the effort and work hard to make everyone be a success. And I think that's that's the big part is to let them see that you're going to do that. But it also requires on you know, required on my side a lot of time investment to really train and get that person up to speed where she could then be productive on her own without me having to be in there all the time. Well, when you were talking earlier about, you know, just training your team and this idea of, you know, as a leader, you don't have all the right answers. I always tell my team, like, it's, you know, you, no matter how much experience you have, you have something worthwhile to say, right? You have a different perspective than maybe someone with 15 or 20 years of experience. It doesn't mean that your perspective is not as great of an idea or wrong because you don't have as much experience. So I encourage them to speak up. But I also think, you know, as a leader part of what our job is, is teaching people how to do stuff. Would it be faster for me to do something myself? Um, probably, but then the per, you know, person on my team doesn't necessarily learn how to do it. So taking the time to, you know, spend and invest in them, like you said, is, is so important. I mean, is that something that you feel like marketing leaders are not doing today to the extent that they need to be? Or how would you like, what do you think that the landscape looks like for that? Yeah, I, I actually think it's probably goes beyond just marketing leaders. I think, I think a lot of leaders in general find it easier to say, I, ju- I will just do it myself rather than, you know, teaching or encouraging. I think it's super demotivating to somebody if they're asked to do something and, um, you know, they, they don't feel like they, ha- they have the ability to do it. And instead of helping them get there, you just do it and they don't learn, right? I can, I can imagine, like, they're just not going to be motivated at that point to do anything else. And I think you're right. I mean, I think I can't remember. I've actually been on one of your podcasts. The whole idea of like teach a man to fish, fish rest, you know, that concept I think applies in this case, right? I think if you want people who are going to be confident to bring their ideas to bear, that they can do things and they can do more than what they've done in the past, and you need to show that you believe that they can do it. It doesn't mean that you expect them necessarily to be able to do it right now. And I think that's the important thing is to not only tell them that, but actually show that, you know, and and if that means helping them get in there and do something to learn it, I think that's okay. But at some point you, you've got to let them go. It's a little bit like children. I imagine for those who've got, you know, kids who've finally grown up and left the house, not quite there, but you know, building that foundation so that they have the confidence to be able to go out in the world and do the things they need to do. Yeah. I, 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 that is, I think the, the key to leadership is really, getting people to be confident that they can do the things they're expected to do, even if they're not necessarily ready for it right now. So as you think about planning for, you know, a marketing team and what you're going to work on, how do you typically handle like brainstorm sessions? And, you know, what do you do to encourage people to share their ideas and feedback in a way that's one, you know, productive. So you are accomplishing the goal at the end of the day, but then also too makes them feel like their voice is heard. Do you have any tips or tricks there? This, uh, this is a great, question because I think brainstorming sessions are great, but they have to have a, they have to have an end. It's kind of like strategic planning. It's got to have an end so that you can start executing. But I think the important thing is setting, setting, setting some boundaries about how long we're going to do this and how we're going to approach it. But I think the idea is, you know, you really have to be the one who's enforcing that, you know, if you're truly doing brainstorming, right, no idea is a bad idea and just let those go. And then at some point, though, you've got to start to say, let's say you're trying to narrow down on tactics or, or uh, campaign ideas or some idea for, for an event. 
you know, you, at some point you've got to say, okay, we've got about as many ideas as we're going to get at this point, and we've got to start to narrow it down and focus. Which is where that, that's where actually probably where the the next challenge comes in, which is you want to make sure that not only in the brainstorming time are people's voices heard, but on the kind of whittling downside that all the ideas were were given consideration appropriately, and that you know you know someone doesn't feel like they were slighted as a part of that. Um, so I've I've done that with some projects um, in the last couple of years, and I think. That's actually, you know, you talk about being remote. I think that is going to be one of the challenging things. One of the what has worked really well in the, for me in the past is doing that where we get everybody in one room. We say we're going to have, you know, two hours, three hours, four hours, and we're, this is what we're going to work on. We've got an outline, and everybody knows what to expect in the meeting in terms of what we're going to do. That I think that's one of the scenarios that's going to be hard in this virtual world where you, you know, it just I don't know that that works as well. Uh, even with video, I mean, you get some of the body language components of the the communication, but it's that's I think going to be a tough one over time. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned that because I know for my team, you know, as we're virtual, we're trying to figure out the best way to brainstorm different campaign ideas. And we've done like the shared Google Doc where we're all like working at the same time and brainstorming. And it seems to be more exhausting on Zoom than it is when you're in person and you're using a whiteboard. So we switched it up recently and I used a platform that was like almost like virtual sticky notes where you could have different like people could put up different sticky notes and then we could like move them around together and organize them. And it seemed to work really well because it was it mimicked what I would do in the office. I love that idea. Yeah. I've seen, I've seen some of these platforms are coming out. They're like virtual whiteboards and, and things like that. I, I I'm with you. I think the idea of doing zoom for this is going to be really hard over time. Yeah. And it's interesting. Like we're, we all talk about being like burnt out on zoom. And for me, I'm finding I'm in just as many meetings as I was pre COVID. Um, a lot of those were on zoom to begin with or in person. So it's not like I'm meeting with people more, but for some reason I'm, Video conferencing seems to be more mentally exhausting than than in person. I don't know for whatever reason. I don't know what it is. I'm sure somebody's out there doing research about it, though. Yeah, there's going to be some really interesting research that comes out of 2020. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things that you mentioned earlier was this idea around, you know, making people happy and feeling like a need to do that. How do you think about, you know, in those situations, you know, both as like an individual contributor and as a leader, when you have to deliver bad news or you can't make someone happy for whatever reason, what do you, how do you typically think about having that conversation with them? Especially when, you know, your natural indication from years of your childhood is to like, please everyone. Yeah, this, this is like the hardest part of one of the hardest parts of management, and I, when I've, I've coached a couple of people recently, and I who are looking to to move up in rank, and I tell them one of the things you've got to get ready for are difficult conversations. And so I think one, you know, one is delaying; it's not going to make it go away. So you you've got to do it as soon as you can once you have all the facts and the things you. But I think it's really important to tell the why. But even more important is before all that happens. You have that's the that you have had to have built a relationship that where there's trust there that you're gonna be that you're gonna be doing what you think is the right thing, even if that means it's not what they wanted or even what you wanted sometimes because sometimes it's out of your control, and I think being as honest as you can about the reasons why and having that kind of conversation where you're describing that to the extent you can um, is gonna that's the only way to do it. And uh, that may mean that the person walks away and they're upset and, you know, that's okay too. Um, I think 
what you have to do is leave the space there to say, you know, when you're ready, let's talk again. Well, and I think the other thing too is, especially right now, everyone's dealing with so much more in their life personally and professionally than I think we typically deal with in a normal year, if any of us can remember what that's like. And I always tell people like you, you have no idea what baggage and what, you know, situation every other person is in personally that they may not share with you when they work with you. And that does influence how they react to, you know, hard conversations or how they react to something else that you said. And so part of it too, is like having a little bit of empathy and realizing like, you know, a conversation that may not feel like it's that big of a deal for you to tell someone that you can't do what they need, or, you know, that idea is not going to work out. You know, normally they might react okay to that, but given the world that we're in today, that might be, you know, like the straw that breaks the camel's back. And we need to kind of just think about all of that and more so than we probably did, you know, six months ago. Totally agree. I, I, I think, um, I think it was from the seven habits of highly effective people where Stephen Covey talked about, you know, seek first to understand then to be understood. And there's a story that was behind it. Um, and it's, you know, I think that, that, you know, that's one of those things that still like it resonates in my head can every time I'm thinking about having a conversation with somebody, especially if it's a difficult conversation is, you know, what is it you know, like, that's the empathy piece, right? Understanding that there may be something going on in that person's life that you don't know about that they're struggling with and, you know, trying to address that, you know, you know, to, to be empathetic about that while still delivering the news you have to deliver. Well, and I think too, it's interesting about like difficult conversations is, you know, by nature, I'm a pretty, I would say like direct, but like polite person. So I don't like things to linger very long. I like to just like hash it out right away, especially after it happens. And part of that, I think is because that's how I react well to it, to feedback. I want to know, like if I said something that offended you or upset you, or you didn't understand, like, I want you to tell me right away. Cause that's just how I learn the best. And so I do that you know, similar with a lot of my team. And I think what's interesting is, you know, if I look at, you know, just over the course of my leadership, you know, there have been times where I've had conversations that I thought would be hard that went really, really well. Um, because it wasn't a surprise, right? Like you've had, you know, a lot of times I call them like little pebble conversations where like, you've kind of talked about an issue, uh, maybe not in depth because it wasn't a big issue. Um, but you've talked about it over a period of time. So when you have like a bigger conversation, no one's surprised by it. And then there are also times where you feel like, you know, you've talked about something 10 times and the person's still surprised when you have maybe that harder conversation. So how do you think about, you know, especially when you're talking to someone over a period of time and maybe either delivering bad news or talking to them about like performance issues or areas just for future growth or why, you know, a project they've worked on, we've all been there, right? Where you work on something for so long and then it gets killed, you know, by the company and you're no longer going to do it. How do you think about like those conversations and preparing someone to be able to handle maybe the bad news um, as well as thinking about like how you, handle it afterwards because it sometimes can make it really awkward for everyone involved yeah i am with you on the direct i would much rather have you know feedback direct and and quick as well but with kindness i think um that's really important i've seen that not handled well and i think you know it really depends on the person too you know some people are more emotional than others some people are you know don't want the direct conversation so there is a little bit of trying to like 
you know, modify the communication the way you need to, to, you know, how you're delivering it to that person. And, you know, I, you know, again, I, this kind of comes back to it. Sometimes you just, you have to deliver the bad news or the tough news. Um, and you, you, you may not be liked about it. You may be blamed for it, even if it wasn't your fault. And that's part of being a leader though, too, is that you've got to be willing to do that. And it kind of goes back to kind of ties everything back together a little bit, right? Is that, you know, if, if you are in that position and you feel like you have to be a people pleaser, you know, it's going to be really, really hard. But if you get to the point where you realize that, you know, you can't necessarily make everybody happy, even if you wanted to, even if you didn't necessarily agree with the decision or, uh, it, you know, it was not quite what you wanted, it's still your responsibility to do it. And you need to do it in a, in a way that is um, fair to that person and doing it sooner rather than later, I think is way better than waiting and letting a person who's wondering about it, not know what's going to happen. I mean, no, none of us like uncertainty. <laughs> Um, as we all know from this year, uh, that, you know, that's really, really stressful. No, I completely agree. The other thing I was going to say too, like while you're talking about that, that may immediately made me think about it was, you know, a lot of times when I give feedback, what, regardless what kind of feedback it is, if it's feedback on content that's written on a design, um, just general, like performance related feedback, I always take into consideration. And this is, I think where empathy comes into it that we've talked about earlier, is how does that person best handle feedback, right? Because everyone, I think, deals with it differently. Like, I would rather someone just be more direct with me. Some people need, you know, need feedback, you know, when they've written something for you to position it as a question. Like, well, why did you think about it this way? Or what if we thought about it this way, right? Um, whereas other people are like, just tell me what you want, right? So how do you think about, you know, trying to figure out what everyone's, you know, we talk about like with relationships, love languages, but what everyone's like work language is, so you know how to best communicate with them. Again, I keep going to it like you have to invest the time. I, I don't know any other way to do it. I mean, over time, you might get better at spotting it faster, but you definitely have to like it's it's a it's a skill that you have to practice. Just like anything else, you can get better at it over time, but you have to invest the time and effort in it. And if you're not spending time doing that you know, with the people who work for you, or even the people who are around you that you, you know are peers or uh, even up, I think that's important. You know, I, I just like you, I had a, I had a thought in, in that um, I think one way also to demonstrate that it's OK to you know get feedback that's negative is, you know, one of the things I my, my last boss, I would say is, I, you know, I, I would write something, maybe a communication internally about a project we we're working on. It would come back completely rewritten. Right. I would draft something. And, and I think it was hard for her to say. Uh, like, like she felt bad about it, but I always recognize like, I'm, that's, I'm, it's okay. Like writing is not my strong suit. So I'm learning by getting your feedback and getting that, you know, so let's continue to do that. And so I think, and I'm happy to talk about it too, because I think that demonstrates that little bit of a humility that, you know, I think we all should have that we may not be the best at every one of these different things that might be needed for an entire team. And so, so demonstrating that that's okay to get that feedback even if it's, you know, negative or not even negative, but, you know, just it's an opportunity to learn. So I think that's, you know, one thing I've done is be willing to talk about situations where I've either not been successful or failed or gotten negative feedback and, and talk, sharing that with people who work with me, say, look, it's okay not to have it right every time. 
It's so funny that you say that because I always talk about like, I feel like marketers today, we all talk about like how wonderful everything is and how everything was successful if you check out social media. And the reality is like, to your point, like all of us fail like on a pretty regular basis, right? Like no one is doing marketing every day and absolutely killing it, right? There are things that we put a ton of time and effort into that fail. There are, you know, things that we don't think will work that work for no good reason. And I think there's just so much where it's important to your point to have humility and really think about what it is that you're doing, you know, at the end of the day, we're marketers, we're not saving lives. Um, And I just think having that perspective is so, so important these days. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree that, um, it, you know, I think two, two thoughts on that. Right? One, the idea of being humble about that is not necessarily, I think it could be perceived as a sign of weakness. I actually think it's a sign of strength and confidence that you're willing to say that I'm, you know, this is an area that I maybe I'm not great in. I don't know if I want to get better and I know I need to work at it. The second is, you're, you're right. I mean, what we do every day is not going to, yeah, outside of probably a few exceptions, not going to change the trajectory of somebody's life one way or the other. Yeah, I literally have, I have a friend who's literally a brain doctor, right? Like, I don't know how he deals with that stress every day because that's, you know, that truly is something that changes. And I remember, so I mentioned the person I hired um, who wasn't a fit for my marketing operations role. And, you know, the first time that she had to send an, you know, a, a marketing email and it was so scary for her. And I was like, look, this is your first one. Just trust me. Sometime soon, you're going to send one that's going to have a mistake in it. It's going to go to the wrong people. It's going to something like that. And it's okay. Right. It's going to happen, but don't freak out about it. And, and it's just, I think that's really important to kind of have perspective too. When you said that, my first thought was like, do you ever not freak out about it? Because I still think even to this day, I've done this for like, you know, 17 plus years. And when we send an email, like a large email, I freak out. I'm like, oh gosh. Every time. It's well, and it's crazy because on digital, I talk about, you know, there's so much stuff that you can spin up and spin down on digital and take back. And email seems to be the one thing like you can't pull out of someone's inbox um, yet. But I also think to your point, you're going to knowing that you are going to screw up. And part of the time, just being honest that you did like with customers, like, Hey, sent you a, sent you an email for an offer. And guess what? The link didn't work. Sorry about that. Here's the right one. Um, Um, We had a major faux pas where we sent something to uh, a set of customers that was not supposed to get, none of them were supposed to get it. Um, and it was part of an automated process and it was missed. There was one scenario that we missed in the whole build out of the process. And I, you know, I had to go with the AE to the client and say, and not only that, not only were we not supposed to send it, it was basically saying something that was completely wrong. That there was a competitor that was actually providing this service. And we had to go to the client and basically say, look, we screwed up. We are more than happy to send an email back to those customers saying we screwed up and point them to the competitor's site. They like they loved us for it. Meanwhile, the competitor actually shot themselves in the foot because they overreacted and thought we were trying to undercut them or do something, and it actually hurt their relationship with that client. Totally believe that you get like you own it when you make a mistake, but you do what you can to fix it. I think there's so many of us that could tell that story. I was just thinking about my personal experience when I ran the Salesforce marketing cloud for the Salesforce marketing cloud. So we, my team is responsible for really, you know, using our, the marketing cloud technology to market to customers and prospects. And we spent months working on this massive preference center and we had tested it. Everything was working great. It was super, super cool. And 
we go to send the email out and guess what? We send it out to everyone and it links back to the test preference center, not the live production one. So it doesn't work for anyone. And I mean, it was like hundreds of thousands of people. And so we are getting blown up on Twitter and we're like freaking out. And like, we just sent out an email that was like, oops, (laughs) sorry about that. Right. Um, and people, right? Like what was cool about it was we did what we would tell them to do as customers, right? Which is just apologize. Like you made a mistake. You're human. It happens. Um, I think it's just an important thing for us all to remember at the end of the day is, you know, we all make mistakes. We all have, you know, I think challenges that we face in our careers, whether that is having a hard time standing up for ourselves, learning how to say no to others, learning how to tell people no, no matter what it is, but we're all kind of like on this journey to journey in the world together. And I think having a lot of empathy for everyone else around us is so important. Perspective. That's the word that really resonated with me after my chat with Michael. And with everything going on in the world right now, perspective is even more important than ever before. When you're interacting with your colleagues, family, or friends, you really need to make sure you're taking into account their perspective and what could be influencing their reaction to an action or conversation you have. It seems like everyone in the world is facing a higher level of stress than normal right now, and we all need to show each other some grace. So that's my challenge to you. The next time you have an interaction with someone, think about their perspective for a few minutes. What could be driving their reaction? What else is potentially going on in their lives that you may not know about? You know, we're marketers. We're not brain surgeons. We all just need to take a step back, relax, and put ourselves in the shoes of others right now. You've been listening to Real Marketers. If you love what you've heard, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast. And don't forget to tell a friend. All of this marketing goodness shouldn't be kept a secret. 